Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Hebrews 4, and uh, in verse 14 it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Okay? So this is the argument. This, this, is, this is what Paul is saying. That we have this great high priest, Jesus, who has uh, passed into the heavens. So because we have him, let's hold fast. That's it. Now verse 15. For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we're, the Hebrews are in a very difficult position. They're facing tragedy. And what Paul is saying to them is, we have this great high priest. And he's passed through into the heavens. We can call on him. And he's merciful. He understands what we're going through. He has gone through it. And went through it without uh, sin. And we can come boldly to him to get that help. Now let's just quickly review 5, verse 1. For every high priest, every high priest taken from among men, is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way. So this is the function of the high priest, to have compassion on those, for that he himself is also compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man takes this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. And this is a while back, but we did study this, where Aaron was called to become high priest. There was resistance to that, and, and people thought that he was taking too much to himself, as was Moses. But it wasn't him. It was God who called him to that office. So also is Christ, glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So the Father is the one that has... Uh, given the position and the glory of high priest to Christ. He didn't do it himself. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And this is really the focus, that Christ is a high priest after a certain order, not after the Levitical order, but after the Melchizedekian order. And that's really the focus. But chapter 6 is this distraction or this diversion because the Hebrews are not really ready for this message, that Christ is a, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So there's this inset that Paul has to deal with something first before he can come back to the exposition of Christ as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when Christ was in flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. So Christ was here on earth in the flesh, and, and he suffered, but he did not sin. He never turned his back on God. Regardless of what he had to go through, he simply called on God, 
and God heard him and saved him. And that's the example to us, or the example to the Hebrews. So he was saved uh, in that he, he feared. Though he were a son, so even though he was a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. So it wasn't that because he was a son, he got uh, the special route, or special treatment, or he didn't have to suffer. So even though he was a son, he still had to suffer. And because of his suffering, that's how he learned obedience, full obedience. And that he's the forerunner for us, he's the example to the Hebrews. And then note this in verse 9. Being made perfect, or the word would be better perhaps complete, being made complete, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So the same way that he obeyed the Father and went through whatever he had to go through but never disobeyed the Father. In the same way now, he's the forerunner for us if we obey him. So we go through whatever we have to go through and we don't turn our back on him and we follow his example. Verse 10. Called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say. And they're difficult to be uttered. Why? Because you're dull of hearing. So, so this is the message. The message is that Christ is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But it's going to be difficult because of the maturity or the lack of maturity of the Hebrews. So this is really, we want to go from here that Christ is called a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say about this. And we want to go from here straight to chapter 7. So, so we just want to go from here to chapter 7 and now deal with the many things that we have to say about Christ being a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, especially as we're coming into Passover, we really want to understand this. But rather than go straight into the message, we have now this parenthetical message, or this inset of, of, of he's dealing with the fact that it's going to be difficult to teach them about Melchizedek. So he begins now. Why? Why is it going to be difficult? Because they're dull of hearing. For when the time, for, for when for the time, you ought to be teachers... You actually have need that one teach you, again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. So he's basically saying, here we are, grade 12. You should be graduating, going on to teacher's college, let's say. So you can learn how to be a teacher and come back and teach. But as I've done my assessment, I can't continue with the curriculum. What, what, where we are now is I need to go back to kindergarten. It's quite an insult. He's saying, we need to stop. Let's get out the kindergarten curriculum. And let's go back over our ABCs. Even though we should be now in teacher's college, let's, you know, you, what you need is to learn the alphabet again. And then we'll start reading, see, jack, run. See, jack, run fast. And that's where we need to go. So he says here, you, you ought to be teachers by now. So they've been at this for a while. They should be teachers. Especially when you see now that the Gentiles are coming into the covenant. And these Jewish Christians should be able to teach them. But you have need that one teach you again. Which be the very first principles of the oracles of God. And you are become such as have need of milk. And not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, that are mature, 
even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We shouldn't be having this conversation about whether or not it's okay to turn your back on Christ and go back to Judaism. If, if you were actually applying the scriptures and studying yourself, you would realize that to defect is evil. We, 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 wouldn't, have, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But you haven't been applying to the scriptures to yourself. You've just been reading the scriptures we were talking in the youth study about the Pharisees who were very academic in their treatment of the scriptures and not actually applying it to themselves. And so something's being missed here. Now we come to chapter 6, which is still, we're still in this inset. We want to go from 5 to 7, but he's dealing with this inset of this problem of lack of maturity. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto completion, perfection or completion. So he's saying here, we are, you know, you should be going on to teacher's college. You really need me to go back to kindergarten? I'm not going back to kindergarten. But you're either with the program or you're not. So here's the grade 12 curriculum. We're going to cover it. And then I expect you to go on to teacher's college. So we're going to leave the principles, which is the RK in Greek. It means the, the basics, the kindergarten level. It's the basic fundamental elementary teachings of the doctrine. This is the logos the Logos of Christ, the expression of Christ. This is the very beginning, the very beginning understanding. Let us go on unto perfection, unto completion. Again, what he's saying is, I want to go to Hebrews 7. I want to get on with the message. Which, when, when you get that, that's the completion. You, you have part of the picture, being Jewish Christians, being people of the Old Covenant. You've got part of it. I want to give you the other part, so that it's complete. So that's where we're going. We're going to get the complete picture. And we're not going to lay again the foundation of repentance from dead works. You should know this. You should know what evil is. And so we're not going to do that and, and the doctrine, the basic doctrines. And then he says in verse 3, and this is a critical verse, and this will we do. We are going to go on and complete the curriculum. We will do this. Notice, if God permits and this uh, word, if, is an important, critical word. <clears throat> it's the Greek word, en, uh, or in some cases, per. And it means, um, it means uh, un uncertainty. We're not sure if this is going to happen. So, so we're going to go on, and we're going to go on to perfection, only if God allows. So God is actually involved here. It's, it's not my will. It's God. And so we're going to go on, and I'm hoping we can go on. It's up to God. Because you've been behaving a certain way, and I'm not sure what God will, will discern here. But my sense is it's going to be okay. We're going to go on, if God permits. So remember this word, if. And uh, that's the Greek, two, two Greek words, uh, en and per, which, make it, which means it's, it's conditional. It's, it's uncertain. Now we go into this... Uh, Subtext. So where we've been is, you ought to be teachers, but you have need that someone teach you again the first principles of God, you, because if you're using milk, you're unskillful in the word. 
So we're going to leave, we're going to leave this, and we're going to go on to completion. Why? We're going to do this if God permits. Why? For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and we covered this in detail last time, and were partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Notice this. If they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance. And I need to correct something that I said last time. What I said last time was, it's impossible to renew those who, if they meet five conditions, and so they, he lays out the five conditions here. So if they satisfy all five of these conditions, if they shall fall away, it's impossible to renew them. This is incorrect, and I have to retract this. And I base this on, on the English translation, which it says very clear. If they satisfy these conditions, so it's impossible for those who satisfy these conditions, if they shall fall away, to renew them unto repentance. This word if is not the same as the word if in, chapter, in verse 3. The word if in verse 3 is conditional, it's uncertain. It's the, it really is the way we use the English word if, if, if this happens, if God permits the word if in verse 6 is the word kai, and it means and. And it's the same kai in all of the other conditions. So it's impossible to renew those who were once enlightened, kai, tasted of the heavenly gift, kai, made partakers of the Holy Spirit, kai, tasted of the good word of God, and the powers of the world to come, Kai have fallen away. So it, I don't know why the translation, translators put if here. And the other thing they did is after every Kai, the tense of the verb is aorist tense, which is like our past tense. So it's and something that has already happened. So I'm talking to you now. And if I'm using the aorist test, it tends, it's something that's happened before the time I'm talking now. So in every single case, it's chi and a verb that's accusative, meaning this is something they've done, and it's past tense, including falling away. So the translators changing chi to if makes no sense. It should say and also. I think and also would be a great translation. It's impossible for those who are once enlightened, and also, and then it's always past tense, tasted of the heavenly gift, and also were made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and also tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, and also have fallen away. It's all past tense. It's already done. If they satisfy all six of these conditions, he's saying it's impossible to renew them again unto repentance. That's why he's not going to go back to the foundation of repentance from dead works. Because the folks that have already done all of this, it's over for them. It's impossible to renew them. That little subtlety, and again, I don't know why the translators did this. It's chi, and also, and it's aorist tense, and it's accusative. It's something they've already done. It tells you that the people who have done these six things are not present. They've already, they've already apostatized. 
So Paul is speaking to the Jewish Christians that are in the faith. And he's saying those who have already apostatized, and this word kai, actually I should give you the translation of kai. This word kai Kappa Alpha Iota or K-A-I is a primary particle having a copulative and all, sometimes also a cumulative force. So when you, what it's saying is you're adding this onto what you already have. So he's giving the six conditions. Each condition is yet another accusation that he's, he's placing on them. So they've done this and this and this, and this, and this, and the force is just building. So by the time he gets to the last one, this is like, there's no hope for these people. They're done. Okay. So now, so they've been enlightened, they tasted the heavenly gift, they were made partakers of the Holy Spirit, they tasted of the good word of God, they tasted of the powers of the world to come, and they've apostatized. There's no hope for them. So they're obviously not present. Now, he goes on to verse 7. Well, actually he says, there's no hope for them. And then he explains why. Why? Because they've crucified Christ again. And then beginning in verse 7, he begins to explain why this is so serious. So they've crucified Christ again. And then notice verse 7. It's kind of a strange explanation, but the Hebrews, it's a Hebrew speaking to Hebrews. So they understand each other. So he says to them, for the earth which drinks in the rain that comes often upon it and brings forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed. So the people who are looking after the earth, when the rain comes upon it, it brings forth herbs for them, receives a blessing from God. But that which bears thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing whose end is to be burned. Hebrew talking to Hebrews. They get this. When I read this, I thought, whatever. Okay. But when you look into it, as a Hebrew, this makes perfect sense. Why he says, if God permits. We're going to go on into perfection. If God permits. Because look at this. The earth, when rain comes on it, and it brings forth the herbs, it gets a blessing from God. But when the rain comes on it, and it brings forth nothing but thorns and briars, it gets a curse from God. God is very much involved. So God is not this impersonal force that just doesn't have any responses. Depending on how the earth behaves, God responds to that earth. And he either blesses it, or he curses it. So we're going to go on into perfection, if God permits. Because God has emotions. And if he sends Christ, who sacrifices himself for you, and you accept that sacrifice, and after accepting it, and experiencing the power of it, you choose to spit in Christ's face, I don't know. God will have a reaction to that. And you're either going to be blessed or cursed. Let's go to Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5. Which is, if you're a Hebrew, and... Paul quotes this, that the earth which receives the rain often and brings forth herbs gets a blessing, but if it brings forth thorns, it's rejected. If you're a Hebrew, 
Isaiah 5. Right away. You know exactly what he's talking about. So let's go to Isaiah 5. Isaiah 5 and verse 1. Let me sing. I'm going to rejoice for my beloved. My love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. So the, 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 this was, the soil was wonderful. Ideal conditions. My, my beloved had a vineyard with ideal conditions. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He picked the best vine. Ideal conditions. Best soil, best vines, get rid of all those stones, dress it, make it beautiful. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it, so he had expectation. And he looked for it to yield grapes. That was the expectation. But what happened? But something else happened. It yielded wild grapes. So he, he, ideal conditions, found a fertile hill, took all the stones away, uh, set up beautiful decoration, put a watchtower in the middle of it and a wine vat. We're ready. We want the beautiful grapes. Ideal conditions. And instead we get sour grapes. We get wild grapes. And now, verse 3. O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. So this is God speaking. You, you just judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard? I did everything I could. I gave it ideal conditions. There was nothing more that I could do. All, all it had to do was, was yield the fruit. So you judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. God is real. God is a person. God has emotions. God has expectations. You can't take him for granted. He made all this effort on the vineyard, and it gave him wild grapes. So now I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I've had it. I'm going to remove my protection. And it's going to be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoped. And briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. God is involved. That's why Paul is saying, we're going to go on unto perfection. If God permits. It's not up to me, it's up to God. Because this is how God responds. When he has expectation, sets up ideal conditions, and all you give him is wild grapes. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts, now get this, the vine, and this is what the Hebrew talking to Hebrews, this is an inside conversation. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his plant, pleasant planting. So God, at many times, and in many ways, spoke to our fathers. Sounds like a feather in the cap. Sounds like something we should be proud of. And in fact, it's something we should be ashamed of. 
because they continually let him down. And so he's saying the vineyard is the house of Judah, and the men of uh, the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looks for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So this is, let's go back to Hebrews 6. And the apostle is saying here, it's impossible to renew these people who who were in the program and left it. And it begins in verse 7 with the word for, which is the Greek word gar. And that word is uh, basically giving a reason why. So the the reason why is when God has an expectation of fruit and you give him none, he responds. If you give him the fruit, there's a blessing. And if you give him wild grapes, there's a curse. And that's why it's impossible to renew those who have tasted of all of this beauty and then rejected Christ. So, so that's why he's saying, I, I'm not going to go back and lay again the foundation of repentance. You've got to decide if you're in the program or not. Because if you're not, it's curtains. And then in verse 9, he says this. And this is why it's important to understand this. Actually, before we go there, let's go to Hebrews 2. Let's go back to Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2, remember the argument here, that when, he, when he started out, that God has spoken to our fathers, and they got to hear from God through the angels, but we get to hear from him directly from his son. And therefore, uh, sorry, in verse 1 of chapter 2, therefore, we ought, we're obligated, to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. So, so our fathers needed to give heed to what they heard from the angels. We have to give more earnest heed to what we've heard from the Son, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was sure, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, In other words, if you transgressed the word of God that was delivered by angels, you would be punished. God would not take that lightly. So our ancestors were scattered, they were punished, they were taken by Assyria, they were taken captive by the Babylonians because they disobeyed this word. God didn't ignore it. He acted on it. So if they got their recompense of reward, this is the question. How shall we escape? Escape who? The Babylonians? Escape the Assyrians? Escape the man down the street, the Romans? No. Escape God. How shall we escape God? If we neglect so great salvation. God is real. God is real. We have a relationship with Him. And if He gives us ideal conditions, if He gives us everything, and we spit in his face, there are going to be consequences for that. He's not an impersonal force. May the force be with you. He's a being. He has emotions. He has expectations. And so, if our ancestors received punishment for disobeying him, 
and the word came through angels. But for us, the word comes directly through his son. How shall we escape God if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders of God backing it up, and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So this is the question. How, how on earth will we escape God if we neglect this salvation? So let's go back now to Hebrews 6. So we have the Hebrews that are here that are weak. We have the Hebrews that have already apostatized and we're not going to go after them because it's impossible to renew them. Why is it impossible? Because God is involved. God responds. And God curses and God blesses. And what he's saying is I can't go after them because they've put themselves in such a way that they've incurred God's wrath. So now there's you. Let's talk to you. And what he's saying now in verse 9, But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. You who are present, who are listening to me. We're really convinced that it's not going to end up this way with you. And things that accompany salvation. We really have this deep, heartfelt desire that you're going to be fine. You will make the right decision. You will, right through to salvation, we are confident of this. This is our desire. Though we thus speak. These, these are very, very tough words. This is really tough. Hebrews speaking to Hebrews. We've got brethren who have apostatized. Leave them alone. They've incurred God's wrath. It's impossible to renew them. Here you are on the fence wavering needing to go back to kindergarten and start with ABCs all over again. We're not doing that. We're going to go on to teacher's college. Why? Because we're persuaded you're going to make the right decision. You're going to snap out of this, this uh, lack of faith, this unfaithfulness. You'll snap out of it and you'll come back. We are persuaded better things of you and the things that and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not, again, God is involved. We're kind of figuring out here, what is God going to do? Will God curse the ground, or will he bless it? If God permits, and we're not, we have confidence that this is going to be okay, why? For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints. This is again aorist tense. This is past tense. This is something you did in the past. You minister to the saints. And notice this. And do minister. This is present tense. So they ministered in the past to the saints. But they're also actively now still ministering to the saints. And God sees that. God sees that. So we have confidence that it's going to be okay. You're going to be alright. Verse 11. And we desire that every one of you, everyone, everybody that's here, everybody that's listening to me, every one of you, do show the same diligence 
to the full assurance of hope unto the end. And this is really the theme in, or a sub-theme in Hebrews. Theme one is, Christ is greatest. Christ is superior to everything. Theme two is, because of that, we have to endure to the end. He that endures unto the end, the same shall be saved. So no matter what, do not abdicate. Do not apostatize. Hold on to the end. And so this is the theme coming up here again. We desire that every one of you, every single one of you, do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Verse 12. That you be not slothful. Stop being slothful. This word is nothros. And it means sluggish or lazy. And so again, if you go back to chapter 5, and verse 11, where he's, where, this is where we, this is the jumping off point, of whom we have many things to say, and hard to be uttered, seeing you are nothros. You're lazy. You're, you're dull. You're, you're neglecting the salvation. And because of that, this is going to be really, really difficult to give you the strong meat, to tell you about Melchizedek or the Melchizedekian order. So here now when we go back to chapter 6, verse 11, that we, we desire that every one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. For... That word gar again, explaining why. When God made promise to Abraham, sorry, I just want to make sure I didn't miss something here. Yes, yeah, so verse 12, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. That's it. So, verse 11, we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Stay with it until the end. That you be not slothful, Nothros, sluggish, the way that you are, dull of hearing. Stop being this way. Instead, be this way. Be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So this is, this is the key ingredient. This is how to do it. So just buckle down and be patient and have faith. And, and we've had a lot of bad examples. And he's now going to start giving us some good examples, starting with Abraham. And then when we get to chapter 11, he's going to go through time from the beginning and show us all the good examples that there have always been people who have exercised faith and patience to inherit the promises. And this is what we need to do now. So don't be slothful, but instead, snap out of it. So, so it's not that there's no hope for them. It's just that they're lazy. They're neglecting the salvation. And their heart is beginning to harden. And that is what's going to cause them to lose out. And he's saying, snap out of it. Snap out of it. And instead, be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For, now he explains, when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself saying, surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. So we looked at earlier the ground that gets a curse, and the ground that gets a blessing. And now we're going back to Abraham's blessing. To say, what was it about Abraham that enabled him to inherit the blessing? And it was faith. 
He believed God. And that's it. So verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. And that's the key, brethren. We obtain the promise after endurance. He that endures unto the end, the same shall be saved. We're not going to be saved if we don't endure. So the key is, hold on and be patient. This word patiently endured is uh, macrothemio, and it means forbearing, suffering long, or long-suffering, having long patience. So remember now, Abraham met God when he was 75. And God made a promise to him when he was 75 years old that involved his lineage. And he went another 24 years before he had Isaac. And then when he finally had Isaac, when the, when the boy grew to a young boy, God said, sacrifice him. So, you know, how long was Abraham waiting for Isaac? And how much trial and tribulation did he go through until he had Isaac? And then when he finally had Isaac, God said, I'm going to take him away from you. Show, show me, what, what are your priorities? Your son or me? And Abraham said you. And was willing to sacrifice. Let's look at that, Genesis 22. Let's go to Genesis 22. And it came to pass after these things that God did test Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and get you into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell you of. What was Abraham's response? Did he drag his feet? And Abraham rose up early in the morning to get to it. He rose up early in the morning saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and claved the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Wait here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go further and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, even that statement there, you know, we're going to go and worship, and we're going to come back. I think that alone demonstrates his faith. He's going to go and sacrifice Isaac, but he knows God promised him that his descendants, the whole earth, would be blessed through his descendants. So you know what, just, I'll just be a minute, I'm just going to go and sacrifice Isaac, and we'll be right back. That's tremendous faith. <laughs> What verse was I at there? Verse 6. 
And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. So this is what gives us the sense that he had to be a young lad. You know, he wouldn't be a three-year-old and he could put wood on it. Right? So he's, he's obviously, in, we think, in, in teenage years. So he's waited a long time for to see his son grow. He laid it upon Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went, both of them, together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I wonder if Isaac's feeling a bit nervous as they're going up the hill here. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. And so they went, both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took a knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not your hand upon the lad, neither do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jerah, and it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, says the Lord. For because you have done this thing, and you have not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless you, and in multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. So let's go back to Hebrews 6 now. So again, Hebrew to Hebrews, Abraham is the anchor. Abraham is the ancestor. He's, he's the patriarch. And what he's demonstrating is he received the blessing because of his obedience. And he was obedient because of his faith. And so he let's follow this example. Back to verse 13 in, in chapter 6. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, after he had patiently endured, you have to go through what you have to go through. You don't get the blessing for, for uh, you know, abdicating. You get the blessing for going through whatever you have to go through. After he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. 
So if there was something that I said, um, I promise you I'm going to pay you a million dollars. I'm going to pay you a million dollars. You know, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. No, really, I will. I don't believe you. I swear. And then I, I swear on something greater than myself. That ends it. You're like, he's serious. So they're saying here, God, while men swear by the greater, an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. So we can just settle it when somebody swears an oath by something greater than themselves. Wherein God, and notice this now, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. In other words, the reason God made an oath to Abraham was not so much for Abraham's sake, but for ours. The heirs. That we can have confidence in this promise to Abraham because of God's oath. So God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. So two things. First of all, God gave his word. Then on top of his word, he swore an oath by himself. So we have two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie. We have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. So we really do have a hope before us. There's something going on in the present tense. And this is important to us, brethren, because the prophecies say that we have difficult times ahead. That we are going to face a decision very similar to what the Hebrews had to face. And we're going to have to decide, do we betray one another? Do we betray Christ? Or do we have so clear in our minds the hope that is set before us and the promise of God that we will go through anything and we will not let go. Because we know it's impossible for God to lie. And after we endure, that's when we receive the promise. We don't receive the promise before we endure. We have to endure. And then we receive the promise. Verse 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. So the hope is in the future. And so this anchor of the soul is in the future. So anything that we're facing in the present, we are pulled forward by this anchor, this promise that God has made, both sure and steadfast, and which enters into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered. And again, uh, Deacon Jan gave a great sermon last week and talked about this concept of the forerunner. That the, the author, the person who goes first and, and, and show, leads us away, that we're confident he's on shore, we can make it, we just have to hold on. So he's the forerunner, is for us entered, even Jesus, now we finally come to it, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So all of this has been inset so that he can get to what he wants to talk about which is that we have a high priest, not just any high priest, but a perfect high priest. One that's made a high priest by God after the order of Melchizedek. 
But all of what we covered so far was just an inset. Why he's explaining that it's going to be difficult to cover this, but we're going to go on to perfection. We're going to go on to completion. And, and we're not going to do baby talk. You know, we're not going to try to restore those who've rejected Christ. It's too late for them. God is real. And if you do that to Christ, God is going to react. So don't do that. Endure. And we've looked at the example of Abraham. When we get to Hebrews 11, we'll not just look at Abraham. We'll look at all the great examples who have patiently endured. So we'll conclude today, brethren, by saying, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.